Well, good morning. It's great to have you here this morning as we come, we gather together. We're in just uh, beginning our Easter series as we begin to look forward to time of celebration. It's a time to reflect, time to think about the message of Christ, to remind ourselves about who we are living for and celebrating. Last week, Brian was sharing with us about the light of the world, a statement that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The God is light, in him there is no darkness. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he said to us, you be the light of the world and walk as children of the light. I love this comment. He says, when is it that we want the light? Remind us, he says, when we're lost and our hope is fading, when we cannot see to find our way, when we're searching for something that we value that is lost, when, our, when we want to see our past so it keep us from stumbling, and when we want to go forward through the darkness. All those are summed up uh, in one statement, when we see a need. And as long as we live our lives recognizing we always have needs even when we don't feel like we do, then we will look to the light. But the most dangerous thing in anyone's life, no matter if, um, how long you've served Jesus, is as you serve Jesus over time, is to think that you're okay without him, even for a day. You know, today we're going to talk about hope has a name, but we're going to talk about holding on to hope. Holding on to hope. And hope is Jesus. We no surprise there as we talk about this, but you know, we're, we, we have to look at the foundations of the hope that we have as individuals. There's an external hope that's based upon circumstances of life, situations of life. Uh, they change, sometimes better, sometimes worse. There's the internal hope based on our expectations of life, and sometimes that's affected by our experiences our upbringings, the families we were raised in, where we were born, even what nation we were born in. Some people have a more positive outlook. Some, some of us have more of a negative outlook. Some have, uh, we say, a little stronger willpower or hang a little bit longer, this internal hope. But the Bible talks about eternal hope. And that's based upon what does not change. Hope that originates with God himself. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in the Amplified Bible. May the God of your hope so fill you all with joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're bubbling over with hope. I don't know if it's the external situations or circumstances that are got you at odds today. I don't know if it's the internal lack of vision to see what could be changed. God, can you do that? Will you do that? But today I want us to hold on to eternal hope. Eternal hope does not change, regardless of external or internal struggles or difficulties or challenges of life. This joy and peace in believing statement, that when we are truly believing, it inspires us with joy and peace. Now, we can tell when we're not believing, it's because we have an absence of joy and peace. And you know what I'm talking about. Those are sure signs that 
our, our faith is shaky, that we're just not sure about trusting him today with this issue. You know, it's, it's interesting to talk to people and they sometimes don't realize that you can be full of faith in one area and empty in another. That you can, you can be strong in the word in one area of your life and another you can be lacking. Sometimes it's we, we don't know, we've never seen it, we've never been taught. Sometimes even what was once a strength becomes a weakness because we know we're strong in that and then we don't take care in maintaining it. And so we can find our faith slipping in areas that were once a real strength to us. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner, that is Jesus, has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope, this eternal hope, it's like an anchor in life when the external and the internal is challenging and we can't see anything to hope in. Hope, like faith, is not needed when you have what you hope for or what you believe for. They are to hold us in the journey and to remind us of that which is more permanent, that which is more stable, that which is unchanging, and that is God himself, Jesus himself, holding on to Jesus. We're going to go to John 15, but before we get there, I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, first, uh, first five verses, and this is, um, has a number of implications to it, but I want you to understand, because we're going to talk about Jesus when he said, I am the true vine today. Verse 11, there shall come forth a rod. Notice the, notice the trees, um, analogies and statements. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, which is David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, out of the roots of Jesse, King David, King David, King Jesus. And verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with the righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, that's with his word, we see uh, indication of that in John's revelation. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And this is a direct reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we see uh, in Zechariah that Jesus referred to as uh, my servant, the branch. Out of Isaiah 53, the great messianic chapter speaks to us about as a root out of dry ground. I will raise to David, a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness. That's from Jeremiah 23. See, this is a theme. And so when Jesus, in John 15, makes this statement to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, verse five again, I, and you are the 
branches. Now, I won't take you back to the 80s to the, you know, uh, singing the song. I'll, I'll save you on that one. But you have to understand something. To the Hebrews, the good life was a life full of rest and peace where they got to cultivate their land and sit under their vine. We find the language in, in 1 Kings. We find the language in Micah chapter 4, verse 4. So they understand that sitting under your vine is a good thing. It's rest and peaceful, and they're not wandering anymore. They're actually staying in a place and steadfast in one spot and prospering with joy and peace. So they, they, they understand that. Here's context for this passage in chapter 15. And we know that when Jesus was sharing with him, he didn't say, uh, chapter 13, and then uh, now I'm starting chapter 14. These are for us so we can understand and find them again. But this is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. In chapter 13, we find him taking the place of a servant and girding, pulling his, his garments up so he can get down and wash the feet of the disciples and then to dry their feet. And Peter's saying, no, no, you're not going to do that to me. He says, if I don't, you have no place in me. And Peter says, in that case, wash all of me. In this statement of chapter 13, where Jesus is saying to them, if the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and by this, the world will know you're not like them, but you're like me. There's only one thing that will mark the church of Jesus Christ apart from the world, and that is if we act different, respond different, think different, love different. At the end of that chapter, as they're having this meal together, Judas is released by Jesus to go, and as they're asking each other, like, who, who's going to betray you and even when Judas goes, they're not even thinking that Judas would be the one. You ever, you ever had somebody, uh, you know, do something and you thought, boy, if there's if if anybody, we didn't think it would be that one. Even then, nobody suspects him. They just think that because he's the treasurer, he's going to give money to the poor somewhere on Jesus' behalf. They don't get that he's the betrayer. But once Judas has gone and he's left, Jesus continues to talk to them. And it's, and it's then that he says this to them. When Judas has left, it's then that he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. And then he talks about laying down his life and that he's going to do it for them and then he will be raised from the dead. In chapter 14, he's talking to them about how to prepare them for the crucifixion that's going to come, the resurrection that will follow. He's preparing to leave, but he's comforting them. In fact, he's telling them in verse 16 and 26 about this comforter, the Holy Spirit, the helper who would come to them, that I'm not going to leave you alone, but the Holy Spirit, the helper will come and he's going to stay with you and he's going to help you and he's going to encourage you and he'll teach you and he'll show you things to come. He was saying to them, you're not going to have my physical body, but you'll continue to be nurtured by the roots of a vine that reach down to sustain life. I am the true vine, he says, the genuine vine, the real vine, and it is a direct reference to a vineyard. 
The vineyard had to be maintained. I mean, they go out there and they are pruning constantly. Every year they have to prune. Not constantly, but every year. They never take the fruit from the first year. It's from the fruit of the first year that the pruning takes place that will give them the shoots for the bunches for the next year. There's always a pruning of that first and this pruning process. You know, when I was a, as a kid, I didn't grow up on a farm, but a lot of my friends grew up on farms, and I remember going out to the corn fields and having to de-sucker the corn. Some of you understand agriculture. It kind of looks like corn, but it's not corn. It just takes away from the, the corn from growing, so you have to you have to sucker the corn. I worked in tobacco because I lived in Norfolk County, and so we had to go, and you had to know the difference between a, a sucker on a tobacco plant and a real tobacco leaf. We got our first house in Brantford. Our next-door neighbor was this, like, amazing gardener. <laughs> it's like, ah. It was a, we were first-time home, homeowners. We had this huge pear tree in the backyard, and, and uh, Luigi said to me, he says, you, you ought to cut it right in half. And I did not have, we have the nerve nor the knowledge to listen to him. So we cut off about four feet. It did, didn't take very long in the spring to realize we should have listened to him and taken off half the tree. Because it was much better, but a half a tree would have been even that much better. We don't understand pruning unless you've grown up in agriculture. We, we don't understand that. But verse two says that if you don't bear fruit, you get pruned. And if you do bear fruit, you get pruned. So somebody once said, we're pruned if we do and we're pruned if we don't. <laughs> so it's just a case of whether or not there, there's, there's dead or there's fruit, but his point in pruning is so that there would be more fruit. Because when they prune or cleanse the vine, they're cutting away the dead, that which is Looks like there's something there, but it's not there anymore, and there's no life in it, and all it's going to do is take the life energy from where we want it, and that's in the fruit. But if we're bearing fruit in our life, then we're going to be pruned as well so that there be more fruit. I don't know about you. I don't know about you in the pruning process, but, you know, in the pruning process of God, I've never really enjoyed it a whole lot. You have to have hope. You have to have confidence. You have to have trust that he's doing something. You have to submit to the pruning process, and that's the pruning process of life. If you were here at the Engage Conference and Sian shared with us about the, the trip into the wilderness and the wandering that happens a lot of times, it's all the process of life where God is developing Christ-likeness in you and me, and it's through all kinds of stuff that happen in life, and many times it's the things that we wish wouldn't happen and we would desire not to happen, but God's after something very more, a different way of living, this Christ-likeness in your life and in mine. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 30. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit comes to give direction, instruction, correction, and help us because even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Listen to this in that message translation. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or I hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, which is the good news. 
not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat them for victory for you and both because of God. Defeat for them, victory for you and both because of God. There's far more to this life than just trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through in which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Paul is the one who wrote and said, you know, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak in my own ability, when I'm weak in my own strength, then I am strongest because I rely most heavily upon the Lord. Paul knew lots about suffering. If we will live with him and rejoice with him, we also participate in the sufferings of Christ. But that's just the pruning process where God is desiring to produce more life in us, more fruit in us. Luke chapter 6, Luke records conversation with Jesus Again, about, about trees and agriculture, and he says this, verse 43, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its fruit. You can tell what kind of tree it is, maybe not always in the spring, unless you really know your, your trees, but when the fruit starts to come, then you can say, yes, this is a pear tree, this is a cherry tree, this is an apple tree. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of his good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I'm sure you've been surprised by some things that have come out of your mouth, just like I have uh, things that come out of my mouth. But Jesus says that what's on the inside of us will show up in fruit, good or evil. Uh, what we're connected to the most is what Jesus is talking about. Whatever you're connected to the most is producing life or death in you. We go back to John chapter 15. I want you to keep in mind that good fruit is the product, the natural byproduct of our fellowship with Jesus. It's not simply about Jesus being Savior, but Him being Lord and Lord of all. I'm not sure if you've been reading with us through the uh, devotional, the soap pattern that we use, but devotional, but we've been reading through Judges, and you'll see this phrase over and over again, and there was no king in those days, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I submit to you that Jesus is the king, and whenever there is no king, in his will and his way, we all do what's right in our own eyes. He wants us to be a people united around him. Dean Sherman, when he was with us many years ago, used to say this, unity is corporate humility. If you're married, you know this, if you both walk in humility, you can walk in agreement. If we walk in humility together, we can stay united in Christ and accomplish what God desires us to do. If we recognize the king in our life that we're not our own, that we need him even when we are doing well, even when we've gotten our prayers answered, even, even when we feel like we're good, we need him most, actually. Because if the king is absent, every man does what is right in his own eyes. 
So how do we handle success or failure, a fulfilled dream or the death of a dream? Does it change who we are? Is it that identity conflict? Do we, do we lose hope? What comes out of us under pressure? More of God or more of us? My flesh or my spirit? Do we toss out our faith? Say it doesn't work? God, where are you? Heard a friend of ours, a pastor, a West, sharing about his lordship test. And he said there's something happened in his life and he had, he had an issue with God. He says, God, you said we did and you didn't. And so boy, he summed up very briefly what we many times struggle with. God, you said, so I didn't. It didn't happen how I thought you meant it would happen. Therefore, we got a problem, God. No, God doesn't have a problem. I have a problem. God doesn't change. But I must change. I must allow him to prove me to create Christ's lifeness in me. Again, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, 12 says, don't become sluggish, but imitate those who faith and patience obtain the promises. You know, we can all find places to look where someone has no hope, but we're told to look for hope through those that have intimate fellowship with Jesus and receiving that vibrancy of life in their walk, the promises of God. We lay hold of the hope that is before us, and this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. These are, these are terms that we find in the book of, of Hebrews, and, and I like this um, acronym of hope. It's my, kind of my favorite, and that is hopeful, overcoming, persevering expectation. Hopeful, overcoming, persevering expectation. Does that look like easy hope to you? Cheap hope to you? Does that look like hope that's built on externals or even internals? No, it's only built on the eternal hope that is ours in Christ. Jesus is our eternal hope. So let me talk about for a few minutes about holding on to hope and holding on to Jesus. This is what Jesus says to us in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Abide in me. This word abide means to stay in a given place, to continue to dwell, to remain, to be present, to settle. I love this one. To sink deeper. To sink deeper. If you get out in your garden right now, it's still pretty wet, and you're going to sink deeper. Get the picture. Sink deeper into Jesus. Sink deeper into our hope in him. Just as the branch depends on the vine for life and energy to bear fruit, 
Jesus' disciples must depend on being connected to him for their spiritual life and their energy to serve him and do what he's called them to do. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. You've got to continue to sink deeper into me. Even in my absence, even when I don't, you don't see me anymore, I am with you. He's given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. Our source of life and energy for life is not in our self, but it's in Christ. And we're connected by faith and by love. Without me, you can do nothing. One translation says, nothing at all of spiritual value apart from him. Because we can all say, well, I can do something. That's, that's what rises up inside. I can do something. Oh, we can do all kinds of things. We can do all kinds of things. There's, there's all kinds of things that we can do. But not a spiritual value without abiding in Christ. Not, not about pulling and drawing and depositing and bringing life to other people, which is what we're here for, what we're called to do, and that is to not only have the life of God, but to give the life of God. Some in Christ, he says, do not bear fruit. He takes away and burns, cannot last. Some actually thought this was a reference to Judas, who'd been with Jesus, but the issue is, it's a loss of fellowship or vitality or energy and life flow that shuts off and we can't bear the fruit that fellowship with him is meant to produce. Some bear fruit. He prunes in for more fruit, but we've got to submit to his pruning. Interesting happens as I hold on to Jesus and submit and yield to his pruning, he holds on to me. You know, I don't know if you remember seeing a poster oh, quite a few years back. And uh, it's a hand reaching through a knot hole. And it said, uh, if you can stand the pull, he can pull you through. See, reality is, is I submit, the way I hold on to Jesus and hold on to hope is I I keep holding on to him, I submit to him, I yield to him, and he holds on to me. In this fellowship, this intimacy of life, he holds us by his spirit. Holding on to Jesus, secondly, holding on to the word. In verse seven, he says, now, if you abide in me and my words, come on, say my words. Abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. But the, the setup for this is intimacy with Jesus so that we carry his heart, so we know right desires, so we know what to ask for. But it's about the word. Holding on to the living word. Jesus is the living word of God. Because living hope comes out of the living word. If you want to know Jesus, you, we need to spend time with him, the living word, and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. Because that's where innocence grows. As we get to know him and understand him and 
understand his ways and his plans for us. The hard work of believing under the pressure of life is what we have to do to hold on to the word. Because the enemy comes to steal the word. As soon as we hear it, many times the answer comes and the enemy comes to steal it away and we say, oh, that wouldn't work. I think it's too late for that. It might work for other people. It won't work for me. I don't think that. Yeah, but I don't know what that means. I don't think that, I don't think that, that works, works for me. But see, it's God's word in us that is producing fruitfulness. We're not working hard to produce fruit. It's a natural process. It comes out of fellowship with him. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. This is the fruit that Jesus wants to produce in your life and in my life. He wants to produce this fruit in us, and it only comes through intimacy with him. True fruitfulness only ever comes through intimacy. most amazing thing about our children is the fact that they were products of our intimacy. Fruitfulness is always a product of intimacy. Fruitfulness of the kingdom, fruitfulness of life and vitality is always the fruit of intimacy. We need to depend on Jesus for everything. We sing a song, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. As I said before, like we only need him when we remember we need him. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, be my plea. Just one, one thing. David said this in Psalm 27. Just one thing I desire, I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and inquire of you. When, when, I, when I need to draw in and draw close and hold on to Jesus and hold on to the word because the enemy's trying to steal the word out. Many times I grab my guitar, I'll go back to the song, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock, and now I know. Listen to this. I love you. I need you, oh Though my world may fall, I will never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. Two things happen. Number one, I sign up again. Number two, hope is restored. See, the great trap is we think about what we know, we think about what we've experienced in the past, we think about our limited understanding of the future, we think about external situations and our lack of internal hope, but we sometimes forget and need to find ways to remind ourselves that we have an eternal living hope. His name is Jesus, the anchor of our soul. Regardless of what happens, we hold on and press in to Jesus. Thirdly, we hold on to his love. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. It's the same love. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide, dwell, remain, sink deeper into my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But I, I want you to understand that sometimes people read that and they, they get it backwards because it's sinking deeply into the love of God that makes us want to be able to do his will and empowers us to do his will and to do his commandments and to keep his way and his will. Only intimacy with him, only seeking deeper into his love releases the power and the grace of God in order to walk the life that he has called us to so that the fruit gets produced in our life and through our life. These things I've spoken to you, why? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Remember what Paul wrote? He says, joy and peace in believing, in the process of believing. Joy and peace will keep me in the process of believing. These things I've spoken to you, my word, that my joy may remain in you, this love. These first 11 verses are all about relationship with Jesus. Our motto as a church, our Statement as a church is always building relationships. Relationships with God always comes number one. Is that's why we gather. That's why the only reason we know each other, other than if you're a family member, is because God brought us together in this place. And he has a purpose. And he has a design for us. And so we come to him to offer our hearts up and we worship him. In spirit and truth, we give our hearts to him. He speaks to us. We what, build relationships with one another. Out of a revelation of his love, we now are to walk in love with one another. Because that's what verses 12 and 13 are all about. If we abide in his love, now this is my command that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, my friends, if you do whatever I command you because you're sinking deeper into my love and you're getting my heart and you start to carry my heart, then you're going you're gonna to live different. You're going to walk different. You're going to live this new life in Jesus that you take out the old man, you put on the new man, and everybody says, who are you? And I never thought I'd see you at Koinonia. And like, what happened in your life? And now tell them your story. They can tell you theirs. I've had more than one conversation over the years of somebody who said, you know, guess who showed up in church today? I, I don't know the person, but they knew the person and they were from their past and they were amazed to see them sometimes on the platform and amazed to see them sometimes sitting beside them. And they thought, wow, I never thought I'd see you in church. To which the person replied, I never thought I would be in church. But something happened and something changed. And you hold on to Jesus and you hold on to the word and you hold on to his love. He says this, no greater love, because this love is a love that originates with the Father, with the Son, and that the Son is given to us, and that we can only keep by the Spirit of God. We are by one Spirit, made into one body, and united by God himself. And he says, now, do everything you can to keep that unity. See, those of you who are married, the easy part is getting married. The harder part is staying married. Spiritually, the greatest thing that happens on a wedding day is that there's a new entity that begins. A new relationship never existed before between that man and that woman. A new spiritual entity. If they will lay down in humility their own desires and embrace what is best for both of them before what God has said, you have a great marriage. But the most dangerous person to any marriage are the people themselves. There may come pressure from outside, but the greatest pressure is from inside of selfishness and 
a lack of humility. And unity can come under attack. But if we allow the love of God to guide us, direct us, and to change us, there's no greater love, no greater hope than there is that's found in Jesus, the living word and the living hope of the world. And there's a battle that's going on, a battle in the mind where we have choices to make. Will I, will I hold on to hope? Will I hold on to Jesus? And will I submit to him and submit to the process? Will I yield to him and his way and his will? Will I allow the king of kings to rule and reign in my heart? Or will I choose to do it my own way in the absence of a king? Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says, Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. The gospel is simply good news. The good news that God is not against us, he's for us, and that Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. And that those who are bound up and had to sin now don't have to sin can, by love, serve one another. Not using our liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love, serve one another as a demonstration of the life of the Father that Jesus gave us as a demonstration to us. And hope stays alive. Hope dies whenever our connection to the vine does not stay. When we draw back our fellowship, when we draw away our dependency, when we don't stay connected to him. How do we, how do we hold on to hope? Well, in verse 27 it says, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, it was revealed to all people, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eternal hope lives in us if you're a Christ follower today. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the good news is that hope, eternal hope, living hope, is right inside of you, and as you will yield and submit to it, you hold on to Jesus, and Jesus holds on to you. You hold on to hope, and hope holds on to you. This eternal hope in Jesus Christ. If you don't know him today, if you don't have that hope eternal today, if you have not yet met Jesus in a personal relationship, don't you know today, you can have a hope that's not based upon your past, your present, or your known future, but based upon a known future in Jesus, eternal hope. A time in our life when we look forward and we say, there's nothing more life can throw at us because we're holding on to you, Jesus. You're my eternal hope. Not my, just my yesterday hope or my today hope or my tomorrow hope. But you are simply my hope. We give our confidence and our faith and our trust to him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you that you oh, you have given your love to Jesus and Jesus gave that love to us today that we might know you as you are and trust you with our lives. We are so grateful that no matter what life throws at us that it is you that as we submit to you, you're the vine and, and from the vine comes life and vibrancy. You hold us. As we step before towards you, you draw us in. And you restore hope with an eternal hope that regardless of what's going on in our life today, you do not change. We thank you that you have been ahead of us already, Jesus, and already made a way. If you're here today, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, it's just a choice, it's a decision, it's saying yes to him, to his love today. He loves you, knows you, cares for you. I don't know what you know about God or what you don't know about God, but he knows everything about you. If you're here today, you've never made that choice, that decision, I'm gonna invite you right now, just right wherever you are, just, just you and I looking at each other. I'm gonna ask you to just throw, a, just throw a hand up to heaven and just say, yeah, I choose to give my life to Jesus today. The hope, Jesus, the hope of the world. There's much more than that to it, but it's just the beginning. That's all, there, all it takes to have the Father embrace you and say, I'm so glad you've come home. I'm so glad you allow me to love you as you've never been loved before. Just going to ask you to stand your feet if you would. And as we sing this song, Jesus, um, be the center of my life. I'm going to ask uh, some of the SLT, the, some of the leadership team, the connection team to come, if you would, to the front. Be Prepare yourself to, to pray for people. We believe in the power of prayer. Jesus told us we should pray. We need to pray. It's, it's an it's a exact opposite of, no, I got this, I'm okay. That we're so tempted to say when somebody says to you 15 times a day, how you doing? Okay, okay, okay. And they keep walking because they weren't, weren't listening for the answer. God is always looking for the answer. Always listening for the answer. We have needs in our life. God's touched something on your heart today. Come and allow someone to pray with you, stand with you, believe with you. Refresh your faith. Refresh your faith in the